From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel, providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. I'm really, really excited today to have an old friend and colleague, Lenny Roth, uh, on our podcast. Lenny actually has joined our crowd as a partner in 216 and has 15 years of wealth management experience. He's also a co-founder of Yarotech, a Miami-based solar energy enterprise. He's a graduate of McGill University and Harvard Law School and has served on several community and corporate boards in Israel and the U.S. Lenny chairs Israel Bonds for Southeast Florida, is a governor of the Ben-Gurion University and used to chair the university's investment committee in the U.S. He's also a co-chair of the Florida Congressional Committee, Pro-Israel and a member of the Harvard Law School Alumni Association. Welcome, Lenny. Thank you, Phil. Great to be speaking with you today. Now that I read your info, I guess maybe we'll find some time. You'll give me a prediction which way Florida is going to go in the presidential election. But <laughs> we'll, 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 I've, I've, lost, I've lost all my privileges of <laughs> political prognostication. Everything I expected to happen didn't. <laughs> all right, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave that if we have time at the end. So... You've had a very successful career on or connected to Wall Street for many years. What brought you to make a career change and journey into the startup universe? Well, thanks for asking. Um, and, you know, I, I did spend uh, several years in wealth management with some, some fairly prominent and, and exceptional institutions. And, and yet, extracurricularly, I was always connected to Israel. And our crowd was just a very felicitous combination of of both endeavors. What I have found increasingly is that uh, most investors, including very high-end wealthy investors, are left out of technology. They're left out of um, private companies. It's really been the exclusive domain of a very small group of, of uh, institutions. And yet, increasingly, it's become uh, the asset class where you see the highest accretion in value. Companies just are not as eager to go public anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's justified? Are they making a mistake by uh, staying out of the public? You know, so uh, again, it's, it's, it's very specific to, to individual companies, but if you look at what's happened over the 10, 20 years that we've known each other, the cachet of being a public company has been eroded by the legal costs, accounting costs, regulatory compliance burdens, uh, quarterly earnings pressures, and time. If you look at the time it's taken from you know, the CFO, the CEO, the Treasury Department in, in, in corporations, it's, it's uh, almost as burdensome as the expense. And then you have the positive reasons. We have pools of capital in private equity funds and hedge funds, venture capital funds, uh, pension funds, other institutions that do direct deals, and most importantly, corporate balance sheets. If you look at uh, Israel, for example, and the 300-plus multinationals who are active in, 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 in our country, uh, most of them got there through acquisitions, and most of those acquisitions have been private companies that are effectively uh, outsourcing their R&D. They'll see research and development initiatives 
that have been successful in Israel, and they're uh, they're buying those companies before they ever see the uh, you know the public markets. And then obviously globally, you have some very prominent examples of you know Uber and Snapchat, Airbnb, WeWork uh, that are raising capital at astronomic valuations and don't need to. Um, to uh, to do it through through the uh, the public markets are able to again access these institutions that are very very happy to continue funding these enterprises. So obviously you have a very strong background. You were analyzing, promoting, uh, helping people invest in public companies, publicly traded companies. How has that helped you in promoting investments in startups? Well, the one thing I. I you know, I learned in um, you know in my career is that the single most effective determinant in investment success is asset allocation. So, if you told me in any given period of time how an investor was allocated in terms of stocks, bonds, whether it's large cap, small cap, international emerging market, it would give me a pretty good idea of what their performance would have been during that period based on how the benchmarks would have performed. Uh, increasingly, asset managers are trying to do a little bit better than a benchmark, but most importantly, they're trying to track pretty closely to the barometer by which they're being measured. Startups are you know, not really uh, um, that easy to track because your performance is going to be so variable, right? It's right. not quite a binary outcome. Right. I think there's a, there's, there's, there's a misperception that an investment in a startup will either be a home run or a strikeout. There is liquidity in the private market based on what we just discussed. But to answer your question directly, my background has taught me that diversification is at least as important when, and probably a lot more important when you're investing in private companies and when you're investing in startups than uh, any other expedition in, in, uh, in, in, in any other asset class. All right, so let's, let's start getting into our crowd. It, it's certainly become a household name in Israel. What, what makes it so special? Well, I think one of the things that I found so compelling is that it democratizes access to, to an asset class that has, as I mentioned, heretofore been so elusive and exclusive. And what our crowd has been able to do is really look at the two ways that investors have been um, invited to access, and I'm talking about the very high-end investors have been able to access uh, investments in, in startups and technology companies, either as an angel, where someone would come to us and say, Phil, Lenny, I'm starting a company, my cousin's starting a company, my neighbor's starting a company, which is you know, an opportunity, but it's an opportunity that's hard to evaluate. I certainly don't know how to evaluate how innovative a certain idea is. I mean, the single largest investment that I personally made in a technology company was in Better Place. And it seemed like a can't-lose proposition, as we now know retrospectively. They, you know, they raised and, and, and spent $850 million of investor capital. If I, if for every dollar I invested in Better Place, I put 50 cents in Better Place and 50 cents in, in Tesla, which was started around the same time, electric car concept, but obviously, at least up to now, has had a very different um, corporate experience. True. I would have had a very different balance sheet. That's true. So the angel, in, yeah, the angel investing model is, is, is very difficult. It's difficult for anybody to know 
what the strength of intellectual property is, what the competitive landscape looks like. The, the folks who are supposed to know that stuff are venture capital funds, and that's the second way to invest in startups, and that is to write a check to Sequoia or Benchmark or Kleiner Perkins or Patango. Um, but they're very exclusive. I mean, first of all, their windows of funding are narrow, and their barriers of entry are very high. Unless you show up with a 5 or $10 million check, and at the Sequoias of the world, they're probably not even looking to take your money because the people lining up to give them checks every time they have a fund, you know, a funding opportunity. But those are really the two models. The angel and the venture capital, our crowd is special because it tries to combine the best of both. You're able to piggyback off a due diligence team of a dozen people that all they do all day are looking at deals. So some have credentials as entrepreneurs, some have credentials as um, tech uh, analysts, some have credentials as you know people who've been in various industries, but collectively in the aggregate, they just see so much. They're going to look. We're going to look at over 2,000 opportunities this year to make about 40 investments. And I think that's the other thing that makes our crowd special is we're not just a portal to investment. We actually invest in every single company at the same valuation that we're introducing to the rest of the crowd. So how do my listeners uh, join this uh, platform, this community called Our Crowd, and take part in this well, uh, opportunity, which you basically have explained is been off limits to people, most people, up until now? Well, the website, um, I think the website's always been very compelling, and we've just, we've just redesigned it, so your, your listeners are, are welcome to uh, um, uh, browse www.com ourcrowd o u r c r o w d dot com um, and then they'll see first of all what's live on the platform so we're evergreen at any given point in time there should be between four to five um, opportunities that are live that we're currently currently funding for in the aggregate over the past four years we've we've made approximately a hundred investments and then your listeners can choose they can cherry pick they can say well I like the medical marijuana uh, opportunity, I like the exoskeleton that allows paraplegics to walk. Um, you know, I like perhaps this other innovative thing a little bit less. Uh, and they can cherry pick over time with a minimum of ten thousand dollars per investment. Or if we go back to what we were just discussing, they uh, recognize the benefits of diversification. They can allocate a certain amount of capital to a basket of deals that they can invest in over a period of time. So they can say, we'd rather dedicate $100,000 to 10 deals that we will choose together with the R-Crowd team over the next 6 to 12 months. So here you, here you are, R-Crowd, having invested in, what did you say, over 100 companies to date? Uh, you've got Indeed. a team, team of 12 people. This is what they're doing all day. Uh, how do you explain the, the endless creativity and energy among young Israeli entrepreneurs who are, you know, constantly knocking at your door? Well, that's a great question, and I think that uh, this is this is something that you and I have benefited from uh, seeing evolve over the past twenty plus years, and that is that's that's the culture of innovation and and role models. You know, if you look at um, if you look at a, a, an ambitious uh, person in New York who seeks to create wealth, 
her role models are going to be maybe Jamie Dimon or Lloyd Blankfein or, um, you know, Bill Ackman and, and John Paulson in the hedge fund world. In Hollywood, it might be, you know, Steven Spielberg or George Lucas. If you look in Israel, the role models are, are all tech entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And the country is small, the institutions are intimate, and the decisions that um, people make in terms of where they serve in the Army and what they want to study thereafter and the social networks that they create uh, during and after their military service are with increasing frequency geared towards launching an innovative concept that uh, hopefully will also enjoy commercial appeal. Uh, I think there are a lot of other cultural factors. You've got a country that's still very, very largely uh, comprised of immigrants who um, still feel uh, a drive and an opportunity to uh, to succeed and climb up the socioeconomic ladder, and they believe that's possible. That's 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 no longer as easy in other parts of the world, including the United States. And the uh, the ecosystem is extremely supportive. So if you feel like you've got an idea, you'll be able to recruit people with appropriate skill sets to help you develop that idea. If you feel that you have a, um, a company that, that, that uh, could be successful, um, most of the major municipalities in Israel have uh, enabled an infrastructure for concepts, ideas, companies like yours to thrive alongside initiatives and entrepreneurs that are similarly motivated. Wow, that's a great endorsement of, uh, as you say, an exciting ecosystem here in Israel. Let me go back to a question about our crowd. Our crowd, as everyone should know or will know now, is based in Jerusalem. Wouldn't it make more sense to be in Tel Aviv or Herzliya Pituach? You know, it's a good question, and I've been asked that before. Um, so to spill the beans a little bit, we've now opened our second Israeli office in Herzliya Pituach. Oh, okay. Uh, but the DNA, the central nervous system, is is uh, is in Jerusalem. That's where our headquarters are. But I, you know, I look at your successful practice that has evolved over the years, and you have multiple offices. But it's still That's really true. all about Phil Stein yes. and your colleagues and your team. Similarly, our crowd is um, it's global. I mean, you know, the, what we talked about 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 a hundred investments. The first 40 were exclusively in Israel because that's where we started. That's what we had access to. But during this due diligence process that I mentioned earlier, we discovered that people are building better mousetraps in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So we've invested in them too. So the next 60 investments, I'd say it's been about half in Israel and half um, half outside of Israel. Oh, we have wow. offices in Singapore. Yeah, we have offices in Singapore, uh, Sydney, Australia, uh, New York, the West Coast, Toronto. Um, including, yeah, I mentioned the two in Israel. So we're increasingly looking at investment opportunities on a global basis. But um, but here's a shout out to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem, its talent, um, its mayor, who himself uh, had a career in, um, in 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 the technology world. The the city has become extremely tech friendly, and. Those elements that I mentioned regarding an ecosystem and access to talent and the ability to uh, to really sort of take your idea, take your concept, and, and, and bring it to the next level 
has been meaningfully enabled in Jerusalem uh, in a way that, that probably wasn't the case five or ten years ago. Yeah, and I, I personally, again, without making predictions, uh, you can hold it to me, but I, I think once the, the fast rail uh, will be finished, which they say now we're talking, I think, uh, Q1 2018, uh, I think it'll have a major impact in terms of people looking at Yerushalayim differently, living here, commuting, uh, and it should be very good for this type of, you know, the type of companies our crowd is investing in. 28 minutes from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem yeah. sounds like, it sounds like the Messiah has already arrived. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and he could probably get to where he wants to go a lot faster. So let me, let me ask you just, Lenny, a uh, personal question. You've had a long and strong connection to Israel. What are you discovering? now living here on a full-time basis? Well, you know, it's not my first rodeo, so there aren't the kind of surprises or culture shocks that, um, you know, some people are warned about. Um, if anything, Israel is increasingly Western, increasingly cosmopolitan. The, uh, um, the ability to navigate the country, both culturally and professionally, is, is is going to be a lot more familiar, certainly to people coming from you know North America or or, or, or Europe than it ever was before. Um, I find it uh, refreshingly easy because of some of the elements that we you know spoke about earlier. So the bureaucracy is not nearly as dense as it used to be. The um, the, the the language of commerce is not as uh, different. From, from the West as it was, say, 10, 20 years ago. So I'm finding whether you're in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or, or, or pretty much anywhere else, Israel has become an extremely accessible place to, um, to live, to do business. And from our vantage point, as, as critically, to identify... Uh, Competitive innovation measured um, measured from a global perspective. In other words, the, the the things that Israelis are coming up with, you know, stand eye to eye with with pretty much anything you'll find even in Silicon Valley, and in most cases at a much more attractive price. All right. So my my last question is again: You've been advising people for many years on what to invest in. Uh, someone is listening to this podcast or has heard about our crowd and is ready to make that leap into to this private equity what advice do you give someone about to make a significant investment like this Um, so first of all look at it in the context of how you'd look at any other addition to your overall portfolio venture startup tech is an asset class in and of itself. And depending on your level of wealth and your level of risk tolerance, it could take up 5%, 10%, probably not a lot more than that in your overall portfolio. And diversification is critical. I shared my personal experience in Better Place, and some companies seem more promising, some companies seem, seem I mean, I've never seen a business plan that I didn't fall in love with, but that's just because, you know, the future is unknowable, and people are going to be optimistic. So be skeptical of optimism, mm-hmm. but, don't be left, but don't be left out. Because right. as I mentioned earlier, as, as companies resist going public, there's going to be increasing value accretion 
in the private space, and if you're not in, you're out. And if you're out, you're you're giving up a lot of uh, upside participation to keep your portfolio that will keep your portfolio competitive with um, with with the other people in the neighborhood. But diversification is critical. Trying trying to pick the right company um, is like you know going 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 to Vegas or or or, or buying lottery tickets. But if you if you invest in a basket of companies, then in all likelihood, especially because there also is liquidity in the private markets, other private companies are buying private companies, and public companies are coming in and buying private companies. Um, invariably, your uh, your investment portfolio in that space will be a lot less volatile. So let me have one final question. I know our time is almost up. Someone, as you say, cherry picks. They they pick something in this area. They pick something in this area of tech. Um, obviously, they're not going to be able to to go on the internet and see what that company is valued at or trading at at any particular moment in time. But how do they how do they follow the progress of those companies that they, as you call, cherry picked and invested in? Well, regardless of how you invest um, through our crowd, you're going to get a quarterly report with your portfolio, mm-hmm. and you're going to see performance metrics and updates. Um, certainly, if a company is acquired or goes public, you're going to have a realization, right. and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that'll that'll uh, you know tell you something about valuation. But we're we're going to continue having follow-on rounds for our portfolio companies, uh, and those will be up rounds, and there'll be some down rounds. Uh, there'll be marks to market delivered from management in the event that there are changes in the company. But one of the things that we've been uh, very focused on is content. So content, both in terms of describing why we like an investment as we share it with the rest of the crowd, and content on a quarterly basis describing how the company has progressed from the moment that we initially discovered it. All right, so Lenny, you've made a good, uh, very good pitch for our crowd. If someone wants, you you mentioned the the, uh, website before, but if uh, someone wants to be in touch with you, has further questions, how can they reach you? Lenny at ourcrowd.com. All right, so uh, it sounds like you're a, a busy man and going to be busier with all these offices around <laughs> around the world now. Um, and we wish you great success and look forward to hearing more about our crowd and uh, our crowd's success stories. Thank you so much, Phil. Always a treat to speak with you. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 